From State Impact Pennsylvania, this is Energy Explained, a podcast where we go behind the headlines to explain Pennsylvania's energy economy. I'm Reed Frazier. From the start, the Mariner East Pipeline has been controversial. Sunoco Logistics is spending billions of dollars to build this pipeline, which will carry natural gas liquids across the state to a port facility near Philadelphia. It's been shut down at various times by the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection and the State Public Utility Commission because of repeated problems, and it's attracted protest for its use of eminent domain to take land for its right-of-way. Today, we're going to talk about the Mariner East, about why it's been so controversial and why it's had so many problems. Joining me to talk about this are Susan Phillips and John Hurdle, two reporters who've been following this story for State Impact Pennsylvania. Susan and John, hello. Hey, Reed. Hello. So let's start out with some basics. Susan, can you tell us where this pipeline goes and what it will carry? Because that's kind of an important part of the story. So it will carry natural gas liquids. A natural gas liquids includes propane, ethane, and butane, which are dug up from the ground in western Pennsylvania, and it's going to come across about 350 miles through a pipeline, two different pipelines, and in the future, three different pipelines, to a terminal in um, Delaware County. The announcement has made a major impression in Marcus Hook, Delaware County, and local businesses are paying attention. Sunoco has decided to launch Mariner East 2, a pipeline project that will bring natural gas to the old refinery and, oh yes, hundreds of jobs as well. Live in Marcus Hook tonight, Action News reporter Chad Fidelli. Where it will then be shipped out overseas to Scotland. In fact, it's already being shipped overseas um, because the Mariner East 1 is already complete. That was sort of the first part of the project where they reversed uh, an older gasoline line. That's right. Mariner East 1 is a reversal of a former gasoline pipeline, and Mariner East 2 is a new 20-inch line. Another 16-inch line will be built called Mariner East 2X. Now, the Mariner East 2 is the one that's had so many problems, um, but it is slated to come online at the end of September. Okay, so we'll get to those problems in a minute. But first, let's talk about uh, an important piece of the Mariner East story, which is it has the right of eminent domain to basically take land from landowners who refuse to sell to them a right-of-way. And the reason they have this eminent domain power is that the company received what's called a Certificate of Public Convenience. Susan, can you explain what that is and why that's an important aspect of this story? Yeah, it's kind of a wonky term, but basically it means that a company can take land for their project. And I think what's confusing to a lot of people here is eminent domain, usually people think of uh, land that is taken from private owners for the public good, say a highway, for instance, like the turnpike. Uh, what's unusual is that this is not a government project. This is a project that is being carried out by a private company for, you know, for profit. And not only that, but the gas is going to be shipped overseas. It's a hard sell for a lot of people who may not think that this is for the public good, and that's understandable. I mean, what Sunoco did essentially was go to the Public Utility Commission, and the reason they went to the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission 
is because if they went to the federal government, which normally grants eminent domain power to these companies for these large interstate pipeline projects, and that uh, federal government agency is called FERC. It's the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. So FERC is typically the one that grants eminent domain for these projects, saying, well, you know, you have to get natural gas from one part of the country to the other. Say, you know, you need, there's an abundance of natural gas under the ground in Pennsylvania, and there's a lot of people, say, up in Boston who need that natural gas to heat their homes in winter. That's usually how it works. In this case, it's a different product. It's natural gas liquids. And FERC does not grant eminent domain for natural gas liquids. Just to sort of suss that out a little bit, natural gas liquids include things like propane, butane, and ethane. Yeah. Sometimes those can be used to create you know, heat, like people have propane in, the, in rural Pennsylvania. That's what they use to heat their houses. But these materials are also used to create essentially plastics. Right. They're the raw ingredients for plastics. And that's the primary use for the product that's going through this pipeline. So instead of going to FERC, the company decided, oh, we're going to go to the Public Utility Commission in Pennsylvania because they say that it's not an interstate pipeline. They say that it's a pipeline only within the state of Pennsylvania. So if it's considered intrastate, in other words, only in Pennsylvania and not interstate, then they can use eminent domain. That's right. Okay, got it. They went to the Public Utility Commission essentially saying, hey, here's this old pipeline. We're calling it the Mariner East One. We're going to, you know, reverse the flow and send natural gas liquids through it. This old pipeline already had a certificate of public convenience because it was built in the 1930s to supply residents of western Pennsylvania with gasoline. So this granting of eminent domain actually happened back in the 1930s. So basically what they said was, hey, here's this old certificate. Can we use it? to send natural gas liquids through this pipeline. And we're also expanding this pipeline and we need more land. It's somewhat mysterious to a lot of landowners because they were not given any heads up that this was happening. They were taken by surprise that when when people, somebody started knocking on their doors asking, you know, for permission to take this land. And if they were not given permission willfully by the landowner, um, and of course the landowner gets compensated in some way and the landowners have the right to negotiate that compensation. So what happens if landowners refuse to sell to Sunoco? If the landowner did not want to give permission for the pipeline, then the company would then go to a local court. Say in the case of Huntington County, the Gerharts, they went to a local court and they said, hey, we have this permission from the PUC. We want eminent domain. And Pretty much in every case, the judges granted the company the eminent domain power. They ruled in favor of the company and against the individual landowner. So uh, you mentioned the Gerhardt family. That's a family that lives in Huntington County, which is kind of in the south central part of the state. Let's listen to what Elise Gerhardt has to say. This was some tape that we 
got while she was protesting the use of eminent domain on her family's property while she was sitting in a tree about 30 or 40 feet off the ground. Now this is private property. My parents are still paying taxes on this land right now. They will continue to pay taxes on this land while Sunoco profits off of it with their pipelines. While Sunoco puts their lives in danger by having these potentially explosive lines running through three acres of their home. Their house is in the blast zone. Our neighbor's house is in the blast zone. That's crazy that they can do that to people, that they can force that upon you. Something that's not only destructive, but outright dangerous. Susan, you know, we hear the anger in Elise Gerhardt's voice. You've covered this family's case over the last few years. Can you give us some background on them and why they were so upset about Sunoco's actions here? They didn't want the pipeline on their land. It's just that simple. They had, when they bought the land, they had participated in a program that's goal was to preserve open space. Um, and I thought that that may have, you know, helped them prevent a, a pipeline coming through their land. It turns out it, it didn't. Um, they fought it in court. They lost. They ended up uh, deciding to do um, nonviolent civil disobedience on the land. So they and their supporters sat in trees for a number of months while other trees were cut down. Ultimately, their standoff pretty much failed. You know, the pipeline ended up being built through their land and Ellen Gerhardt was sent to jail. Several times, actually, she was sent to jail as part of her protesting the building of this pipeline. And and that just is an example of just how uh, controversial this line is and how high some of these emotions run. You guys have documented dozens of spills and accidents that the pipeline has endured during construction. John, can you fill us in on some of the problems that Mariner East has had? The drilling problems started pretty much as soon as they started constructing the pipeline in uh, February of 2017. And uh, that the main problem that the project has had is uh, dozens and dozens of, of spills of uh, what's called drilling mud, which is essentially a lubricant. It's a clay-based lubricant that the company uses. The company says it's a non-toxic clay slurry called bentonite, which is often used in things like kitty litter or makeup. Okay, <laughs> so do you want me to drink cat litter and women's foundation makeup in my water? I don't think so. DEP, uh, Department of Environmental Protection, started to enforce these problems with, um, with drilling mud spills, uh, and they started issuing notices of violation for these incidents, some of which uh, spilled thousands of gallons of drilling mud into wetlands and waterways and private properties. The latest count that I've made is that there are actually 70 notices of violation issued by the DEP, uh, the most recent of which was on August 16th uh, of this year. So drilling mud is non-toxic, if I'm correct, but why would this be a problem for the environment? Yeah, drilling mud is a bentonite clay. 
if it spills into a stream or a wetland, it sort of smothers a lot of the tiny little aquatic life, those little bugs that fish feed on. And so it has an impact, you know, throughout the uh, food chain of a stream or a wetland. So the companies also had problems with sinkholes. <laughs> what is going on with these sinkholes and, and why are, are there these sinkholes along the route of this pipeline? People woke up and there was a big hole in their backyard. A sinkhole, now the size of a swimming pool, is in TJ Allen's backyard. The ground began opening here in November. While they were doing this 24-hour dig, they created a second sinkhole. This is serious. People can get hurt. They had been drilling for this pipeline, and what they did was they ran into this certain limestone, which is full of holes, and water and drilling mud. You never know what it's going to do underground if you're drilling in a limestone uh, foundation. They had these huge sinkholes open up in their backyards. But the most dangerous thing that happened was that it exposed the actual Mariner East one line, which, remember, had already been built and had already been sending natural gas liquids through the line. And that's really dangerous because if the line is not on a, in a stable stable foundation, something could happen to it, it could leak. And of course, nobody wants natural gas to leak in general, but natural gas liquids is very combustible. And so what people were afraid of is if that leaked and there was a spark nearby or a lit match or a cigarette or whatever, that could explode. So that was the real fear. And that's what led to the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission actually shutting down the operation of Mariner East 1 and also halting the construction of Mariner East 2. You mentioned uh, the PUC shutting down the pipeline construction. What's been the reaction from the state to, to a pipeline with so many violations? Well, as we were saying before, there's been dozens of these notices of violation issued by the DEP. Uh, the PUC, uh, for its part, has been increasingly attentive to the issue in recent months. The construction of uh, Mariner East 2 plus the operation of Mariner East 1 were both shut down, first of all, by an, a, a PUC administrative judge. That was back in May. Then her order was, was only partly upheld by the full PUC a few weeks later. Um, and the, the result of that was that Mariner East 1 was allowed to resume its operations. What has the DEP done as a result of all these spills into the waters of the Commonwealth? I mean, their, their sort of mandate is to protect these streams. One of the, th the three shutdowns that Mariner East has experienced since it's been under construction uh, was in January of 2018, and that lasted for about a month. And when it was lifted, the DEP fined Sunoco. So DEP said that it would take a very rigorous approach to um, Sunoco's uh, repeated violations, and, and it has done so. What has the company's response to all of this been? I don't know if you can characterize it um, or summarize what the company has said. They typically say that they meet or exceed all state and federal pipeline construction regulations. And do they ever answer any specific questions? Rarely. John, in the last few days, you've been writing about a, a problem that the pipelines had where the company's replacing sections of this multi-billion dollar pipeline a few, like a little more than a month before it's supposed to sort of start sending gas through it. What's been going on? Why is the company replacing parts of the pipeline in, and this is predominantly in eastern Pennsylvania, if I'm 
I have this correct. As far as we know, it is. Yes, that's right. And the reason they're doing this is because they've they've discovered what they call what they call flaws in the coating of the pipeline. The coating is something that the company coats the pipeline in epoxy, which bonds to to the steel in the pipeline. And the idea here is to prevent the corrosion of the pipe from the outside. So in other words, they're digging up this pipeline again. They laid it in just less than a year ago, and they're digging it up because of what? The coating is bad? It it could corrode in the future? That's what they say. They found, um, and our, our source of information on this was Edgemont Township in Chester County, and they sent an inspector out to, to take a look at what uh, Sunoco was doing in lifting the pipe and replacing sections of it. And they said that these floors had been found in pipe coating in various places, uh, and that was the response in Ed- Edgemont Township. And there are unconfirmed reports that this is going on in different parts of the state, but we've been unable to confirm those yet. So are they still insisting that the pipe's going to be online at the, what, end of September? Uh, yes, the um, in Sunoco's uh, Energy Transfer Partners' uh, latest earning call, they said that their schedule is unaffected. They still aim to be up and running by the end of the third quarter. I wanted to ask you guys about opposition to this. You guys are both Philadelphia-based. There's been a lot of opposition in the, you know, suburbs of Philly to this pipeline going in. I'm just wondering what your take on why that opposition has been so strong there. Susan or John, you want to take that? Well, um, what I would say is that there's a a lot of awareness that the pipeline is going through a very densely populated area, the western suburbs of Philly. Um, Chester and Delaware counties are very densely populated and the, the critics of this project say that it's, uh, it's outrageous that a pipeline carrying these highly explosive natural gas liquids uh, should have been routed through such a densely populated area in the first place. And I think that's why that's really what's motivated a lot of people. If you go out to the suburbs and see where these construction sites are, it's literally in people's backyard. Again, it's get back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of eminent domain they felt powerless to stop it you know the local communities and and government felt powerless in terms of its own zoning does not apply and so i think sort of a combination of sort of the shock of having to host this pipeline and not have any kind of recourse number 1 but number 2 this sort of chain of events and uh, drilling mud spills, sinkholes, you know, having the Manor East one exposed and, and having the PUC, you know, shut it down because of the, the danger of that, that all sort of added to people's fears and frustrations and sort of built up a pretty large opposition out there, wouldn't you say, John? Yes, absolutely. And, and there's one other aspect that we, we should consider here, Reed, and that is uh, Sunoco's proposing to use an older pipeline to fill in for part of Mariner East 2 because there have been so many delays with Mariner East 2. What they're doing is repurposing an old 12-inch pipeline around about 20 miles of it in, uh, in a stretch in um, uh, Chester and Delaware counties. And that's going to act as kind of a stand-in pipeline until the, the new one is actually built. And the reason that this is a problem in the, in the eyes of um, the critics is that that 12-inch pipeline has a history of leaks. It was built in the 1930s, and the latest one of these leaks took place in uh, as recently as June. Yeah, and I think 
read just all these things, the drilling mud spills, um, using a, a leaky old pipeline as a stand-in, the sinkholes, you know, the sort of muted responses from the company. I think that all sort of adds to people's fears and skepticism about the safe operation of this line. Yeah, I think, you know, just from a, like a lot of the news has come out of the eastern part of the state and I'm based in Pittsburgh. It just seems to me like the Mariner East is where the the controversy around the drilling boom that has so seized central, um, you know, uh, northeast Pennsylvania and southwestern Pennsylvania. This is sort of the time when sort of the Philadelphia area is experiencing some of the same issues that other parts of the state have been experiencing for the last few years. That's right. I, I would agree. The shale gas, the fracking boom has kind of come to the Philadelphia suburbs and they're not happy about it. Okay. Well, State Impact Pennsylvania's Susan Phillips and John Hurdle, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Reid. Thank you. All of Susan and John's work can be found online at State Impact Pennsylvania. That's stateimpact.npr.org slash Pennsylvania. State Impact is a public radio collaboration between WHYY, WITF, WESA, and the Allegheny Front, covering Pennsylvania's energy economy. If you have a Pennsylvania energy question you'd like to get answered, you can do so online. Go to our Ask Us page on the State Impact website. I'm Reed Frazier. Our producer is Andy Cubis. Scott Blanchard is State Impact's editor. Thanks for listening to Energy Explained.